It's time to play like a jet with your host, Scott Mason. Play like a jet. What does that mean? Makai Becton, ladies and gentlemen, human beings that large should not run as fast as Makai Becton did. And if you like people just abusing other humans, the Makai Becton tape is for you. Denzel Mims with another monster score of 70 yards. Quick pass to Crowder trying to get him out of the space. Slopes a tackle, and there he goes. Crowder, it's a foot race, and Crowder is in there. A 69-yard touchdown. Donald escapes, trying to buy himself some time. Fires, end zone, it's caught. Incredible play by Donald. He'll hit immediately when he got the handoff. And it's the Q-inator. Oh my gosh. Listen, thank you. From the TOJ Digital Studio, this is Play Like a Jet. My name is Scott Mason. You can follow me on Twitter at PlayLikeAJet1. And there's plenty of news surrounding the New York Jets. So to talk about that, we bring in our friend from NJ.com covering the New York Jets, Mr. Daryl Slater. And Daryl, the top story is the return of Leon Washington as assistant special teams coach. And I was just telling you before we started recording, something people forget about Leon Washington is that he was acquired in the fourth round of the 2006 NFL Draft with the pick that the Jets got as compensation for letting Herm Edwards go to the Kansas City Chiefs. So I would say that that worked out pretty well. He was an all-pro in 2008, just an electrifying player. And people forget what an all-purpose player he was. He was catching balls out of the backfield. He was getting the balls a running back. But of course, above all of those things, he was an outstanding return man, both punts and kicks. Everybody remembers that play on Monday Night Football where he just blew past everybody for a touchdown. That was probably his signature play. That was the year that he made the All-Pro team in 2008 with the New York Jets. Then in 09, at the end of that season, he had that terrible leg injury and people thought he was never going to be the same the Jets ended up trading him to Seattle and using the pick to take fullback John Connor that didn't work out so well and Leon Washington went on to a nice run with Seattle including a Pro Bowl appearance in 2012 finished his career after 2014 and he went into coaching recently and now he's back with the Jets so it's nice to see him here you would think Daryl that if anybody could help these guys become top-notch return men it would be Leon Washington yeah I mean it's a cool opportunity for him to come home and not only further and kind of spark his coaching career but learning from Brant Boyer who is a pretty well-respected special teams coach, obviously, judging by the fact that he's been able to stick around through so many coaching regimes here with the Jets. So, yeah, I think uh, a lot of fond memories Jets fans have of, of Leon Washington. And um, in terms of what he can do for this current team, I think, yeah, I mean, one, you know, in special teams, obviously the special teams coach is going to work a lot with with the return guys. But you hear about, um, you know, teams maybe bringing in, I, I've seen teams do this or, or guys will go kickers will go work with their own coach, but like teams will maybe have a specialist or um, uh, uh, an assistant special teams coach who deals with kickers. But in this case, you'll have Leon Washington, a guy who is an expert uh, returner. So that could add, certainly add a dynamic to the Jets special teams in terms of him being a specialist in that area. I'm sure he'll work with the totality of the of the unit, but um, but that is obviously his area of expertise, as you mentioned. So. A uh, pretty neat opportunity for him to come back home to the Jets and um, and learn and have you know have some coaching stability. Uh, you'd think because it's not like Robert Sala is going anywhere anytime soon. Sounds like Brant Boyer's 
around for a little bit of the long haul here. And, uh, and yeah, and a guy who Jets fans will probably be happy to see back on the sideline, especially if some of these returners, and I have no earthly idea who would be the returner <laughs> in uh, 2021, but especially if, if some of those guys kind of mimic what Leon Washington did a little bit back in the day, you know, more than a decade ago. Play like a Jet. Play like a Jet. Some positive news with Leon Washington coming back to the Jets, but some very sad news from the world of the NFL. Marty Schottenheimer, one of the better coaches in NFL history, passes away at the age of 77. As we know, his son, Brian Schottenheimer, was a longtime mainstay on the Jets coaching staff, offensive coordinator under both Eric Mangini and Rex Ryan. And there was a great gesture that Rex Ryan showed after the Jets upset the Chargers in the 2010 playoffs. If you'll recall, Daryl, Rex Ryan sent a game ball to Marty Schottenheimer as a show of respect. And Brian Schottenheimer to this day says he was very touched by that. And I know a lot of people thought that it was a troll move at the time, but that was definitely not how it was meant. And Marty Schottenheimer took it in the spirit that it was intended If you're a Jets fan, you also remember that Marty Schottenheimer was the coach of the Browns during the marathon by the lake where the Jets had a 10-point lead with five minutes to go and blew the game and the Browns ended up winning in double overtime and then going on to lose to the Broncos the following week in what would later become known as the drive. But this is a guy who a lot of people will talk about his lack of postseason success. But as we were saying, Daryl, before we started recording, Everywhere he went, Marty Schottenheimer would leave the team in a better situation than he found it. He would turn these teams into winners. Now, he wouldn't be able to get over the hump. He never won a Super Bowl. So when you talk about his legacy, there's that. But ultimately, one of the most successful coaches in NFL history, and he was everywhere, man, everywhere. Even as a head coach, he had multiple stops. The Browns, like I said, then he goes on to the Chiefs, had a long run there, almost 10 years. He had that one year with Washington where you look at it and you kind of cringe, but he actually did better there than most people expected. Had that run with the Chargers where he got fired after a 14-2 season, which is insane. So again, a very winning coach in the NFL, and I know a lot of people will debate his legacy, but A, it's sad that he passed away, and B, we should remember the track record that he leaves behind, a very successful one. Yeah, absolutely. I think you put it well at the start of that. I mean, one of the better coaches in NFL history. Is he one of the best coaches in NFL history? I think if you look at the win total, I mean, he won 200 games. Exactly. 200, 126 and one was his career record. So he won 61% of his games in the regular season. Obviously, he's not going to be mentioned among the elite of the elite because he didn't even, you know, make the Super Bowl and, and those playoff losses were a big part of you know, his, his history. But I think if you look at people who really know the game and really respect the history of the game, like Rex Ryan, uh, obviously, like you said, showing a sign of respect there for a guy who he recognizes and rightly so is one of the better coaches in that NFL history. And, um, you know, Rex is a guy who I remember, you know, his press conferences, he would, he would bring up like, not just like no well-known names, but he would dig back and like make these references to like, old school players from, you know, the Packers or uh, the, the, you know, like the Raiders, you know, from the sixties or whatever. Yeah. Who I'm sure like, you know, some, some fans knew, know who those guys were or whatever, but he'd rattle off like the entire Packers line from the Super Bowl teams, (laughs) which again, those guys are hall of famers, but not every casual fan knows them, but he's rattling off these guys in press conferences. Just, you know, it just goes to show the knowledge that Rex had and the respect for he had for, um, 
and has still, I'm sure, for you know, guys who uh, were re- well regarded in the NFL over the years. And maybe history won't look at Marty Schottenheimer, and it, it probably won't as, a, as an elite coach. But I'm looking at this right now. He went to the playoffs four straight years with the Browns. He went to the playoffs one, two, three, four, five, six straight years with the Chiefs, then missed it, and then went another year. So he he was in the playoffs a ton. Obviously, didn't get didn't get uh, didn't get over the hump in the conference championship game in terms of um, making the Super Bowl. But uh, obviously, a guy who had and has a long legacy of um, of influence, most notably with his son who was most recently with the uh, Seahawks as their offensive coordinator. But where is, where is Shadi now? He is, he's with the Jaguars. He's, he's the passing game coordinator and QB coach under Urban Meyer. So he's had a nice career for himself too, um, even though I'm sure Jets fans have mixed emotions about his time with the organization. But, uh, yeah, re- really sad, obviously, Marty Schottenheimer, who had been dealing with Alzheimer's for several years, which as anyone who – has had a relative who's dealt with that. That's obviously a horrible, horrible thing. And uh, so certainly, hopefully, his family can kind of remember the happy times, whether it's with football or, or outside of football. Daryl, just to add on to what you were saying, Schottenheimer coached 20 full seasons because his first year as a coach, he took over midway through the season, so you can't judge it the same way because obviously if he doesn't have an entire season to build up a playoff run, it's not the same as having the full 16 games. But in those 20 full seasons, the team went to the playoffs 13 times. And not only that, Daryl, but 18 out of 20 seasons, they had a 500 record or better. That is incredible. People forget about that. This is a guy whose teams did not have losing seasons. He was a winner, and yeah, he's not going to be remembered the way that somebody like Vince Lombardi or Bill Parcells is going to be remembered because he didn't ultimately get that Super Bowl or have that deep, deep playoff run where Andy Reid eventually finally got it with Kansas City. And even that Super Bowl run that he had with Philadelphia, Schottenheimer never took a team to the Super Bowl. But as I said, if Marty Schottenheimer was your coach, there was a pretty good chance that you were going to have a winning season. So 18 out of 20 years, 500 or better. A heck of a legacy for Marty Schottenheimer. He had he has the seventh most wins in NFL history. I mean, you go Don Shula, George Hallis, Belichick, Landry, Curly Lambeau, Andy Reid's at 221. He's at number six now. Mm-hmm. And... Marty Schottenheimer with 200 wins, seven ahead of Chuck Knoll. And, you know, Chuck Knoll, all those top five guys are Hall of Famers. Uh, of course, Andy Reid probably will be in the Hall of Fame um, now that he's won a Super Bowl. Chuck Chuck Knoll at eight, he's in the Hall of Fame. And then you go, the, the nine, this is remarkable. I don't think anyone in the world would guess who has the 11th most wins in NFL history for coaches. But you go nine, 10, 11, Dan Reeves, Chuck Knox at 10, and then Jeff Fisher at 11 with 173. <laughs> Jeff Fisher, 173. Bill Parcells, 172. And Mike Coughlin, or Mike Coughlin, Tom Coughlin and Mike Shanahan tied at 170. So Marty Schottenheimer is obviously an elite company there with 200 wins, even though, I don't know, you know, maybe he gets in the Hall of Fame eventually, like Tom Flores, um, who took a while to get in, but I don't know. It's, it's probably up in the air. The Johnsons wish they could have hired a coach who was as successful as Marty Schottenheimer since they took over the team in 2000. Of course, Bill Parcells was no longer the coach by the time they took ownership. 
and the head coaching spot has been in flux ever since. We'll see if that changes now with Robert Sala, but one thing that will not change is the structure of the ownership because Christopher Johnson was acting owner only while Woody was away. Woody, it was well understood when he came back, would take back over, but Christopher would still be involved. And so, yes, Woody officially now listed on the Jets' website as chairman again. Yep. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's expected and um, it's now official. And uh, obviously, Christopher mentioned that uh, that had to clear through red tape and everything with the league, but there certainly weren't going to be any issues and hiccups there. Um, so that that is how things are going to unfold. And, and Chris Johnson will still be involved, more involved than he was before. He was involved before, but most people didn't really know him. Um, uh, he wasn't a guy who had a public face of the franchise or whatever, but um, I will, you know, I don't think he'll be speaking to the to media anymore. I mean, I, he's not going to be that face of the franchise anymore. Um, I guess his last media powwow would have been Robert Sala's hiring press conference over Zoom. Um, but it'll be interesting to see when the Jets make Woody Johnson available to take questions because there are certainly going to be a lot of them about um, you know his thoughts on the trajectory of the franchise and uh, where the Jets go from here because it's not like they really won much while he was gone and honestly not like they won much in the couple of years before he left. So, um, yeah, I mean, Woody Johnson comes back from London after being the ambassador to the UK and he is now what he is 73 years old. And so I'm sure he's not very patient in terms of wanting to get his team back to the point where they can contend for that long awaited Super Bowl. So, um, the, you know, it, I'm sure there'll be plenty of questions for him uh, when he does finally address the media, and we have no idea when that'll be, but he is back in, in charge. I'm sure Woody Johnson wishes that he could have gotten himself Tom Brady as the quarterback. I'm sure there are a lot of teams that yeah. wish they had gone that route now after seeing what happened in Tampa Bay. I'll tell you one thing, though. The fan base is realizing that there is another side of Tom Brady that we didn't see for all these years in New England. I forget who it was that said it, but the worst thing that Bill Belichick did is he might have robbed us of fun Tom Brady for 20 years. He was having some fun on that boat in Tampa, Daryl. Oh, he was so tanked, wasn't he? I mean, <laughs> that was... I'm glad he wasn't driving the boat for his sake and the other people on water's sake. Uh, I was talking to somebody about this, like, how low do you think Brady's tolerance is? You know, like, <laughs> <laughs> like the guys that... He's so skinny, first of all. Like, it's remarkable how how real thin this guy is. If you look at his face, and, like, obviously he's a health nut. I'm sure he's not drinking four or five beers a night. <laughs> so he goes, after a long season of taking care of his body and all that good stuff, and uh, I'm sure abstaining largely from drinking, he goes and ties one on, and you can tell, um, you know, <laughs> it's not like he's a he was a, he's been doing that and building up his tolerance. But that was – obviously a fun moment for him. I, you know, if you, if you look at, uh, I remember he used to go to Kentucky Derby back when people were allowed to go do things in large groups. Uh, and he would, he would have a good time there. Like you could tell, like he would go with all those guys like Edelman and stuff. And like his family would be nowhere around. Like, so that was, I, it seemed like his big boys trip of the year with those guys. And I'm sure he had a good time there, but we've never really seen him like he was stumbling off that boat. Uh, maybe his sea legs aren't what they used to be or what it, what was his joke that he tweeted about avocado tequila. So the thing about Brady is like, 
you know, he, he has a pretty good sense of humor. Like if you listen to that Howard Stern interview that he did, um, where he really did a good job of just like rolling with every, you know, how a Howard Stern interview is going to go. Right. He just rolled with everything and he was really comfortable and throwing jokes back at Howard. And like, if you listen to some of his press conferences too, like, um, during the Super Bowl here, Super Bowl week, I mean, he has kind of a wry sense of humor. Um, so, I mean, I'm sure you saw that come out at times in New England. I'm sure the people who covered him every day saw that. Um, but it seems like obviously he's been able to let loose a lot more with his personality in Tampa under a coach who probably is like the loosest personality coach in the NFL and Bruce Arians. So he goes from Belichick to that. And um, yeah. And another ring for Brady. We haven't talked since the Super Bowl, obviously. So yeah, seven rings in, in 10 trips to the Super Bowl and, I just I don't know what else can you say. I mean, the guys, the guys, the best ever <laughs> to do it, um, and he and he did it without without Belichick, and he proved everything that he wanted to prove. And he's certainly not playing like he's what forty three, going to be forty four at the start of the season. Uh, you, you have to wonder how much longer he's going to do it. The Jets are just happy that they're not they're not having to face him down in the division, though they certainly have their own problems to deal with, but. Um, but yeah, I, you know, you, you wonder what the expiration date is on this guy because every time you think, you know, that he's toast, uh, he goes and, and does something like he does, uh, you know, he did this year in Tampa. Um, and yeah, like I said, he's turning 44 in, in August and last year of his contract in Tampa, but he's really showing no signs of slowing down. I mean, he's not maybe not as elite as he was at certain times with the Pats, but um, I think there are a lot of teams that would love to have him, that's for sure. No question. I can't imagine that there's a team that wouldn't love to have somebody like Tom Brady right now, although I'm sure they wish Tom Brady was 24 like Sam Darnold instead of 42 years old. You just flip those two numbers. And that's why I think some teams may still take a shot at Sam Darnold because they look at his age and think, look at the talent. Maybe we could turn him into a guy who might not be this good at 42, but perhaps he turns into one of the league's better quarterbacks. There's been all kinds of whispers about Sam Darnold. You and I have talked about it. And now you've got a piece up at NJ.com with some possible scenarios. What do you think could happen here? Well, I think there's a lot of different ways it could go. I mean, we've talked about why there's intrigue around this guy. Well, his, his youth, number one. And also the great irony here is that the Jets might be able to, or maybe it's not irony, I don't know. I always use that word wrong. <laughs> is that the Jets might be able to actually get something for him to rebuild their roster, something more than probably they objectively should, because they've done such a poor job of building their roster around him. And that, as we said, I think the last time I was on with you, lends itself to this intrigue and this unknown. Hey, maybe you know, he didn't have a lot of talent around him, so maybe he actually is good. I I don't think so. Like I don't think he's going to be worth what a team gives up for him in a trade. That's why so I kind of we we all four of our NFL writers made some projections, decided to like, you know, I didn't want to overlap with someone else in terms of what the destination was. So one of the guys picked the Bears, one of the guys picked the Panthers, one of the guys picked the Niners, uh, and I picked Washington. I said, you know, Washington will give up the number nineteen pick for him. That would be a horrible and stupid decision, but remember we're talking about Washington here, so they have a track record of doing desperate and dumb things. I think that would that would absolutely not work out, but that doesn't mean it can't happen. If especially if there's a bidding war, and especially if you know Washington gets desperate and um, 
and does something like that, um, who knows what's going to happen. But certainly with Washington drafting at 19, it's not like they'd be giving up a top 10 pick for Sam Darnold. And if you're Ron Rivera, you could probably justify that by saying, look, we're not going to get a guy at 19 who is, if they really like Sam Darnold, they'll say, potentially, we're not going to get a guy at 19 who's going to be as good as this guy. So let's trade the 19 pick and take and get this guy. You know, so maybe uh, it depends, I think, on how much the price gets driven up by interest. And like like you said, there's interest here because of a number of factors, the youth and the fact that the Jets haven't been able to surround him with guys. So, yeah, we have that up on, on the site now if you want to go check it out uh, for, for trade proposals for, for Sam Darnold. And a lot of people reading into the fact that Joe Douglas's old college roommate Todd McShay, who was adamant that the Jets were going to keep Sam Darnold and draft Penny Sewell and build around Sam Darnold, has now changed course and in his latest mock draft has the Jets grabbing Zach Wilson, the quarterback from BYU, at number two, and Travis Etienne, the running back out of Clemson, at number 23. It's weird how all these major draft pundits keep mock drafting Travis Etienne at number 23 to the Jets. You wonder <laughs> yeah. if they know something or if this is just, well, if they're going to take a young quarterback, they're going to need a running back to help take the pressure off of them. I think part of it, you know, it's educated guesswork. And these guys talk to people, and I'm sure Todd McShay talks to Joe Douglas, but uh, Joe's not going telling him what he's going to do, <laughs> right. uh, number one, even if he knows what he's going to do. And I don't think he knows necessarily what he's going to do yet at quarterback. Uh, and, and number two, if he is telling him, I don't think Todd McShay is running up there and he's not telling him what he's going to do. Like, I mean, it would be insane uh, to do that. And, and, and Joe Douglas has a lot more common sense than that, even though he's buddies with Todd McShay. And surely Todd McShay understands that. Um, so, yeah, uh, I'm sure it's, you know, it, it is educated guesswork. ETN at, at that spot, you know, we talked about it here before. You know, I don't know, uh, you know, running back there. You kind of want, you know, like you don't, you know, that doesn't, that doesn't feel like a sure thing. Great decision. I think one of these mock drafts, maybe Mel Kuyper had the Jets kicking JC Horn there, the South Carolina cornerback. Obviously the Jets have problems at cornerback and have had problems at cornerback for a few years now. And so that would be a logical pick there. And I think maybe probably definitely would make more sense than picking a running back, even though ETN is a, a very good player. Um, we've, I think we've mentioned this before. You probably can get a comparable guy with maybe one of those third-round picks. So that's kind of where I fall on that. I haven't really spent a ton of time studying ETN's film, but I think just from you look at you know the logic of drafting a running back there, I think we're on the same page here. I don't know if that would make a lot of sense. An investment in a running back like that wouldn't make much sense for the New York Jets as far as I'm concerned, but an investment like that in a quarterback, that's a different story. Whether that quarterback is the number two pick or perhaps somebody that they have to trade for like Deshaun Watson, the Jets are going to have to decide what they want to do. We discussed Darnold earlier. Maybe they go quarterback at number two. Perhaps Watson becomes available. And if there's anybody that would know whether or not Deshaun Watson is going to become available and if he does what it would take to land him, it's John McClain of the Houston Chronicle. And thankfully, my buddy Nick Spano and his partner Frankie over at U Stadium just had a live video chat with John McClain. It went down yesterday, so if you missed it, I grabbed some of the key highlights from the chat where McClain gives us exclusive insight into what the Texans' thinking might be here. I'm going to play it for you right now to end the show. And remember... 
Nick and Frankie do stuff like this all the time over at U Stadium. So make sure you're following them on Twitter at U Stadium and download the app. There's absolutely nothing going on with Sean Watts. Texas have said publicly and privately they will not trade him. He's under contract through 2025. They love the guy. Everybody here loves him. Nobody wants him to be traded. He has not said why he wants to be traded. We've not, not heard anything publicly from him other than some cryptic tweets that people, the first time I've had to analyze lines in a rap song <laughs> and, uh, after 45, in my 45th year. And so I've said all along that at some point, Watson and his agent, David Mulgetta, should should meet, socially distance, of course, with general manager Nick Casario, coach David Culley, and, uh, and explain exactly why he wants out and what he's willing to do to get out. Because if he misses camp in preseason, if we have a preseason, I read where it costs $3.6 million, then he doesn't get paid. If he misses regular season, his last salary is a little over $10 million, his base. Next year, kicks six to $35 million. So the contract would toll. He wouldn't get it. But if he came in for like four games, he could get credit for the season. So that would make it scorched earth ugly, hmm. like James Harden's exit out of Houston, which in which he showed up late. He was out of shape. He looked like he should be playing for the Texans. He played terribly. He didn't put out much effort. Then he did a Zoom call in which he ripped the team. He got traded to the Nets the next day. And I don't – we could see Harden doing that after watching him for years. I do not see yeah. Watson doing that. But my opinion, guys, is this. If, if the draft comes and it's supposed to be a good draft for quarterbacks, the only team I believe – that you should try to trade with is the Jets because it's the only team you can be guaranteed of getting the second best quarterback prospect. And I'm pretty sure it wouldn't be Justin Fields because he's represented by Watson's agent. So maybe it's Zach Wilson. And a lot of people are saying Miami. If you make the deal with Miami, Nick Serio, who's in charge of everything here on personnel, you know the Jets, I mean the Patriots scouted quarterbacks last year because they needed one. And if Nick Casario thought Tua Tungvaloa was franchise quarterback, hey, make the deal with the Jets. Get back your third overall pick. But the problem with picks beyond that, the Jets are pretty good. They may be low picks. I'm sorry, the Dolphins. Dolphins, yeah. If you go with the Jets, you get the Jets, say, one and two this year, one and two next year. And they still got the ones they, they got from the – so the Jets would not be bereft of draft choices. And that just makes so much sense to me. If they wanted to throw in Sam Darnold to start um, until the second overall pick was ready, sure. But it's got to include more than two ones and two twos and Darnold. It's got to hurt. This is an unprecedented situation. Never in NFL history is a quarterback coming off his best season in every statistic who's under contract through 2025, who is a pillar of the community, been available in the trade. And it may be a moot point, but it's fun for podcasts, talk shows, sports writers. Talk, everybody loves speculating on it. And if it was a Jets, you know, they could say, okay, we want both ones this year. We want both ones next year. We want both twos. 
and you can ask for anything you want. And it's got to, if they trade Watson, and they're getting killed because he wants to be traded here, fans and media have not turned on Watson. They've turned on the Texans yeah. for putting him in this situation. And reportedly, the Jets are on his list of teams. Reportedly, Robert Sala, who was here for six years, he wanted Robert Sala to be one of the coaches interviewed. He never met Robert. He admitted he didn't know Eric Bieniemy, but he'd heard good things about him. And they interviewed Bieniemy in a Zoom and not interview Robert. It was Nick Serio's baby. He came to town, and he had his list of coaches. He had five. He interviewed seven, and he hired David Culley. Nobody else. It uh-huh. took a hell of a rest to hire David Culley. It looked like a genius, or he could get him fired in about three or four years. So um, whatever a team gives up for Watson, it's got to be painful. And they're going to have to think, do we really want to do this? But the thing is, say the Jets had to give all that up. They don't have to worry about a quarterback for 10 to 15 years. You can get back, say, another Quentin Williams. You can get back your second and first-round picks in three years. But you've got your quarterback for another 10 to 15 years. And the way guys are talking about playing into their 40s, you might have him for 20 years. Well, it would, it would cost more than three ones on a player. I can guarantee yeah. you that. But he has a no-trade clause. That's the key. I've seen reports that the Jets are one of the teams on his list. And right away, I'm thinking, well, why? Other than they're in the media capital of the world. And Robert Sala, I think if, say, the Jets weren't on his list, I'd do everything I could to get Robert to talk to him because Robert would impress the hell out of him because Sala repl- impresses the hell out of everybody when he talks to him. His players love him. He was one of the guys, at one point, he was my favorite guy to get to come back here. They never even interviewed him. Right. And uh, so I think that uh, could be that way. Could be. I think they need to be transparent. Say they asked for the Jets for something preposterous, and the Jets said no. They probably should tell people, okay, this is what we asked for. They said no. We're not going to give him away for anything right. less than the greatest deal in history. People keep talking about the Herschel Walker trade. When Jimmy Johnson traded Herschel Walker for a bunch of veterans, he could not disclose, based on the deal, that if he cut him, he got number one picks. He's talked about that. So at the time, they're like, okay, you give up your great running back, uh, a pillar of your team in the community, for a bunch of guys like this, why? And Jimmy said he was dying to tell people, and other than his staff, we cut these guys, we're getting number one picks, and that's what he did, and turned out to be the greatest deal in NFL history. But this one, on paper, would have to be the greatest trade, whether it worked out or not. You know, 50% of the number one picks in the league don't work out. They end up getting traded or signing somewhere else. So whatever the Texans get with the Jets, they got to go in thinking, okay, only half of this is going to work out. And um, I see reports. I've had talk shows, podcasts from every city that needs a quarterback with people trying to get me to say, yeah, I think he'd go to Carolina. Yeah, I think he'd go to San Francisco. They don't want Teddy Bridgewater. They don't want Jimmy Garoppolo. They want a guy that guarantees them a quarterback. Uh-huh. And they can, maybe Tua, maybe Nick Casario loves Tua, and they get him and some others from the Dolphins. But I've been saying all along, I don't know. They say they're not going to trade him. Maybe they won't. Maybe we'll be talking about this in October before the 
trade deadline, the Jets and other teams still want him, and they think it's gotten so ugly that uh, they're going to deal him then, which would be ridiculous when you could have dealt him now or before this draft and known what you were going to get. And But it just makes more sense if you're convinced you've got to make a trade and that you start with the Jets. Maybe the Jets go with Sam Darnold, but I'm just guessing that Robert Sala, Woody Johnson coming home, Joe Douglas, this would be a trade for the ages. It would. He'd be the best quarterback since Joe Namath. Uh-huh. He'd steal the Giants' thunder, and he would dominate the back pages and the talk shows. And that's why to do it, you're going to have to open up a wrist and bleed to pull that off. Josh McCown is here, and you guys will know this better than me. I'm told that Darnold played his best when McCown was on the roster and serving kind of a player coach. And then when McCown left, Darnold hadn't been as good. I remember Darnold's rookie year. Texans played up there in December on a Saturday. And the Texans won, and Darnold played great. Uh-huh. Yeah, I remember yeah. all the media, the writers talking after the game. Man, that kid looked good. This is why they got him. And then for circumstances, talent, you know, talent, injuries, he hadn't been the same. I know Bill Parcells has been very high on Sam Darnold. So, there's a reason he was drafted when and where he was. There's a reason he's been able to play some really good games. And it's not like he forgot how to play quarterback. So the team that gets him could get something out of him. Problem is, you're only guaranteed for one season. Do you want to pick up a fifth-year option? Say you make the deal and before the draft, and then in May, you got to decide to pick up that fifth-year option. Why would you do that? if you took a quarterback second overall. So you know you're going to – you'd maybe trade him at the trade deadline to a team that had a quarterback got hurt who'd be willing to pay, to pay him a big contract even though they could lose him after that season. So there's a lot that goes into a Darnold decision. And I don't know what Joe Douglas thinks, but anytime there's a new coach coming in um, – and you guys know, if you use a first-round pick, especially a high first-round pick on a quarterback, it gets everybody excited. Uh-huh. People talk, it's almost unfair to the for him to be the backup because everybody's going to want him to play. And so that would create a lot of excitement if they didn't get Watson, if they took that quarterback second overall. I think if they did that, I'd trade Darnold and sign some other veteran well, he was ready because he might be ready when the season starts, like Joe Burrow was. So there you go. You heard it from the man himself, John McLean of the Houston Chronicle. Some outstanding intel there on what's going on with Deshaun Watson right now and the Houston Texans. Remember, you can get the rest of that chat right now. It's up on the U Stadium Twitter account, at U Stadium. And Nick and Frankie are doing stuff like that all the time. So make sure that you download the app. Thank you again to Daryl Slater for coming on and talking about all the news as well. You can check out his work at NJ.com and follow him on Twitter at Daryl Slater. If you haven't given us a five-star review on iTunes yet, if you could go ahead and do that for us, we'd really appreciate it. Easy way to help out the show if you like what we're doing. Doesn't take you much time, doesn't cost you any money, but it goes a long way to help us out. So if you could go ahead and do that for us, we'd be quite grateful. And for the latest and greatest in New York Jets podcast, you know where to go. That's Turn on the Jets Digital and turnonthejets.com.